I love what God has been doing. And um, because, you know, one of the things that I love, even about our service tonight, is, is one of the things that they say about revival is there's actually very little teaching. That there's so much that God is doing and so much that God ha- that he desires to say that really when the minister gets up to speak, it's kind of like the afterthought. You know, it's like we do this because it's like the thing. But I mean, I feel like that. I, sometimes I feel like it right after worship. Like I could go home right now and feel like I've experienced the presence of the Lord, that I've touched heaven. And I feel like, okay. And, and, and I love what God is doing because he's bringing us, he's actually bringing us to that place where we are experiencing in him all the things that he's promised. And, you know, we went through this Sunday and it was phenomenal. And, you know, really what we've been talking about is, is understanding the anointing of God that he's given us where our authority, uh, 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 it, like our authority is understood. Because I love the teaching of the cross. And if you're in an, an encounter, I, I got an opportunity to preach about the cross. And it's probably my favorite message because it's this moment where we enter into the new covenant where Jesus hangs on the cross and he makes this strong declaration and says it's finished and what he meant by it's finished is that everything that that the enemy was able to steal from Adam Jesus had restored it and it's been finished and given to us and and I love this message and you know we really talk about it as the message of faith but one of the things that God has really been speaking to me about through this year and really as we've been getting ready you know coming up to the September the 22nd date the Lord had had this really heavily on my heart is understanding that um, you know just because something is mine and it's supposed to be mine doesn't mean that I'm ever going to get it. Do you understand? It's like I think about it in terms of like a police officer. And so if a cop comes to your window um, and, you know, he doesn't understand his authority, right? He comes and, you know, he flips on the lights, you know, and you pull over. You know, you have that nervous poo feeling when you get pulled over. We all get that feeling, okay? It's not just you, it's everybody. Um, And, you know, so you pull over. And uh, if the cop didn't understand his authority, you know, if there was any bit of arguing, you'd be able to get out of a ticket because he really doesn't understand his authority. Um, and, and it's the same thing when it comes to us in Christianity is that so often what we have to understand is that we're not waiting for Jesus to show up and do something. Okay? Can I say that again? That we're not waiting for Jesus to show up in the service right now and do something because at the cross 2,000 years ago, he already did everything he was going to do. In fact, what it says is that he's in heaven right now and he's seated, which is if you go through the Old Testament and you understand that the priests could never sit in the temple because they were always working. They were always striving to be excellent. Jesus is in heaven right now sitting because he's already accomplished everything he's going to accomplish. And our place now as New Testament believers is we have to understand and assert the authority that God has given to us. And as I do that, as I step into that place now, what I do is I take everything that he did at the cross and I bring it into the now. That's actually what I'm doing. And so as we release our confessions, as we walk by faith, as we do all the do's, essentially what we're doing is as we're retraining our brain, reconvincing ourselves that we are not who the world says we are, but we are who the scripture says we are, that I have the authority of heaven and everything necessary in order to see every area of my life transform. Okay, so this is what we've been talking about for the last 
probably 10 years that we've been in ministry. If you wanted a recap, there was your recap. Um, and now really, so, so as, you know, as I've been walking through this and, you know, for those of you, maybe, you know, you look at us and you look at my family and I just want to let you know that this is a day-to-day journey and it's going to be for the rest of your lives. Okay. You got to wake up every single day and do your confessions for the rest of your life. If you want to see God doing it, you can't live off of yesterday's manna off of yesterday's revelation. Every day you need to hear from the Lord. I mean, that was even Jesus's testimony in his life of ministry is that it would say that every day, not some days, not most days, not a couple of times, but every day he was meeting with the father. He was talking to him. Sometimes it would say that he would pray through the whole night to understand why, because he made the declaration that said this, that I only do the things I see my father do. And I only say the things I hear my father say. Why? Because God's words are the words in our life that carry the authority to make things happen. God's word in our life, the belief of God's word in our life, those are the things that we can stand on, take them to the bank, and they'll change, right? We read, we read the parable in the scriptures where it said that there were some that built their house on the sand, and then when the wind and the waves came, it blew the house over. But we are not those who build our house on the sand. We are the ones who build our house on the rock, which is Jesus, and his teaching so that when the wind and the waves come, they can't move us. And so what do we do? I know and I understand that I have to allow my mind, my heart to be transformed. Like the scripture says, the renewing of my mind to get me to the place where I believe not in who the world has said that I wasn't, but who the word says that I am. Okay. And so as we've been doing this, uh, I actually wanted to teach from second Corinthians or second Chronicles 2015, and you, you, you're not going to turn there. Um, and basically, this was the, the story of King Jehoshaphat, and um, he goes through this amazing victory. And you know, it's the scripture where we read that you know that the the battle is mine, the Lord says, but the victory is yours. And I wanted to preach that because I love that, and I feel like that's exactly where we are right now. That there is a the scripture says it like this: that we labor to enter into the rest. That there is a rest, that word rest, uh, you know, I don't have to labor much for me to, you know, like sit back and like, oh, okay, I'm not, there's not much laboring happening here, right? I mean, this is pretty labor-less, okay? So what he's talking to us about is that as we labor to enter into this rest is we labor to enter into the place where we trust that God is moving on our behalf, so now as I'm going through the scripture and I'm reading, um, I wanted to go from 15 to 18 because ultimately that's where like the exciting part of the story is. This is where God gives the word and does the thing and it's just amazing. Um, but as I was going through and reading, um, I got stuck at verse 22. And you ever have those moments where you're reading the Bible and it's, it's sometimes it's the most unsuspecting thing, but it just jumps out at you. This is what happened to me as I'm going through, not even planning to teach it, but I figured I should like read the rest of the chapter instead of just like preaching from one little passage. So I kind of get a little bit of context. And so as I'm doing this, 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 this the portion of scripture jumps out at me and the verse 22 is talking specifically about this moment when the Lord brought confusion to the army. 
okay? Now, this, is, this, this was the tactic that the Lord used, and actually, it was a very common tactic that the Lord used in fighting battles for Israel. We can read about it many times through the Old Testament where the Lord would release to them, or however that works, a spirit of confusion. I don't think that God can release confusion because he's good and only good. So however that works, a spirit of confusion would hit them. And, you know, you can read all the different stories, but basically it goes that they just start killing each other. Okay, and that's awesome. I mean, I would love that to happen in some situations in my life where it's like you got these people accusing and they just start killing each other. I'd be like, yes, Lord, hallelujah. Hallelujah for that. But one of the things, as I began to think about it and meditate on it, because I want to encourage you, that's something that you should do when the Holy Spirit gives you something and something jumps out at you. You got to chew on that. Because a lot of the times, you met, at face value, that's not the depth that the Holy Spirit wants to take you, that there's more. And so as I began to just chew on it and think about it, Lord, why are you highlighting this to me? The Lord spoke this and said, he said these words to me. He said, the enemy stole my tactic. The enemy stole my battle strategy. And, you know, I, I, I heard it and I immediately understood what he was saying because, you know, I've watched the old movies, right, where, you know, the key was, you know, in The Patriot, I think that was what the movie was called, you know, they, they find the diary of Gen Lord Cornwallis, I think that was his name, and now they saw his battle strategy, and because they saw his battle strategy, they knew how to fight against him because they thought, well, this was working on us, so I'm pretty sure it's going to work on them too, Okay. And, and I heard this, and I, I thought about it, and I'm like, okay, Lord, I get what you're saying. And immediately as I did, the thought from James 3.16 popped into my head. And it says this, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. Now, I thought it was so interesting. Of all the words to use, they used the word confusion. And it was like they were drawing a parallel back to this moment where let me tell you, I think the easiest battles that God ever won, that Israel ever won, were the battles where they didn't even actually have to fight. Like confusion just got thrown into the camp, you know, and there's one story, I can't remember which of the prophets it was, but basically they, they were all holding like a lamp, like a lamp under a torch, and they just break the torch, and they just stand there holding it like this, and all the bad guys just start killing each other, Okay. Which is, again, it would be awesome to see. I mean, when I get to heaven and I go into like the Hall of Memories, those are the things that I want to see. I want to see these crazy battles of all these just barbaric people just <laughs> chopping heads off. All right. And so um, I realized from this that the enemy, looking at James 3.16, I saw that the enemy learned from God a very significant battle strategy. That he saw the power of confusion and the power of confusion is that he doesn't even have to fight against us. We end up fighting against ourselves and each other. We could say a lot there for a minute, right? And, and, as I, and, and I honestly, I don't even love teaching these kind of messages, but it was just so huge on my heart because I realized from my own personal life how often I have seen this. Like, I will get this amazing prophetic word, and it's like I'm crying out to God for this answer, and God releases to me this answer, gives me this amazing clarity, and it's like, yes, God, I'm going to do it. And it's literally not before I walk out the glass doors of the sanctuary that somebody does something to me and ticks me off. And for a long time, honest to goodness, I didn't understand why this was happening to me. 
But now as I go back to James 3.16, I realize the reason that the enemy is trying to get me out of love into strife is not because he hates me. It's because he doesn't really want to take the time to fight against me. So if he can just get me into strife, he can get me into confusion, and then I essentially am just going to destroy my own promise. So the word, uh, actually, the word envy means this. It means to boil over, okay? And we've all had these moments. You know those moments where something is boiling in you? And you literally, you wish you didn't have to say it. It's almost like it's not even your fault. It's like the kettle is boiling and this top is going to blow off, okay? This is what we're talking about. We're talking about where, where as human beings, and hey, trust me, I know how this works. I feel like as a guy, right? I mean, I'm so awesome at winning battles like 20 minutes after they happen, right? Like I have so many good burns after the fact of what happened. I'm thinking to myself, I should have said this, or I should have said this. Oh, and I could have said this. And it's like, this happened 25 minutes ago, you loser. Like, get a life, okay? (laughs) But this is what happens. But it's talking about this place where we're just boiling over with emotion, with negativity, and we just have to explode, okay? We boil over in our culture with with anger, hate, frustration, jealousy. I mean, you know, I I, I don't want to be insensitive, but I mean, if we look at our world now, I mean, it's almost as though we could de- like categorize our world as an envious world where you go onto social media and you don't have to even look for more than 10 seconds to see someone in some state somewhere or in the provinces of Canada. Actually, not in Canada. It doesn't happen in Canada. <laughs> somewhere in the world, something is happening where people are just boiling over constantly. And, so the, and then the word strife means this. It means to stir up or to provoke. Okay, and, and I know these moments, and you know these moments. These are those moments when you know, and I know, and you know that I know that you shouldn't say anything. <laughs> you know those moments, right, where you're like, oh, I know I shouldn't say this, but oh, it's good. I have those, right? Like the rare moment when I have a burn in the moment when the burn is good, okay? I mean, I almost have to, I owe it to the burn. <laughs> to say it, okay? Now, these are those moments, right, where we, we know we shouldn't say it, but we willingly allow the negativity to come out from on the inside of us. And let me tell you, okay, like, hallelujah, there's no condemnation in Jesus, and like, we all do this, but I mean, when we read about what, like, we laugh and we all do it, but when we read about the effects of what strife in our life do, I mean, myself included, Like, I don't want it to be that, you know, Mike does something, you know, like we work together and, you know, he sends me a text and I misinterpret the text about doing something and now I'm just boiling over. And I think that it's between me and Mike, but really the devil is laughing because all that stuff that happened on last Wednesday and September 22nd and Sunday and all the shouts and the hallelujahs, now the devil gets into my life all because I allow myself to boil over with strife because Mike said something to me. You see, the devil's main objective is to get us walking out of love for one specific reason. 1 Corinthians 13 tells us that love never fails. Love never fails. Love is, it's what opens the door to our anointing. Love is the thing that opens our door to the power 
Okay, it is the very essence of who God is manifested and poured out through us. I mean, we talk about so often, right? Like the scripture that says, touch not my anointed. And I wonder sometimes if the reason the enemy has the ability to touch us is because we're walking at 11, we aren't anointed. Okay? And you get that? Maybe you need to go over your head. But you see, I believe that what the Lord is encouraging us with this evening is to understand this very, in our culture, it seems almost like it's normal. It's normal when I'm angry that I lash out. And maybe if I'm mad at Mike, I don't lash out at Mike. But I tell you something, I'll tell my dad how bad all the burns that I want to give to Mike. Okay? And I think that sometimes that's even more common in our culture is I'm not gonna go and burn Mike, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna go make sure that Jason knows and my dad knows and Liz knows, right? I wanna make sure that everybody knows, why? Because ultimately what the enemy has exposed to me is simply fear. And so I'm allowing, I'm living in this and willfully allowing these things to happen, thinking that somehow I'm winning by telling other people about Mike, but in the background what's happening, you see, the devil can't touch Mike. Just because Mike was rude to me and said something and I'm boiling over, the devil can't touch Mike. I mean, Mike is chilling in the blessing and I'm over here. The more that he's getting blessed, the more that I'm boiling over because I'm seeing, well, Lord, what about the text that he sent me? And I'm walking in strife and my life is falling apart and I'm confused. I don't know what to do. And Mike is getting, why? Because I allowed the door to strife, to confusion, to be opened. You see, I tell you the very first thing that I tell every single person who experiences a healing, a manifestation of God, the very first thing I tell them is be careful of your love walk. Because it's so easy. It's almost like something we don't think about in our culture, that our culture has become so emotion-driven that we don't even really, 99% of the time, we really don't even know what's happening or what's going on on the inside of us. We're so used to living based off of our feelings that we're in and out of strife all day long and we're happy and we're sad and we're doing this and we don't realize that spiritually, can I say legally, what we're doing is, is we're opening the door to the enemy and allowing him to wreak havoc in our lives. And so, like I said, like I've seen this in my life, I've seen this in people's lives, but the enemy will intentionally put things in our paths to try to get us to walk out of love. He knows our buttons just as well as we do, because he's seen our buttons get pushed our entire life. You ever notice that, how people, even if they don't know you, they know how to say the right thing to you in order to push your button? It's almost like you want to say to them, how do you know to say this to me? Like of all the insults you could give me, how do you know this is the one? Why? Because the whispering, because the enemy is just looking, can I get him to walk out of love? Can I get them to boil over? Can I get them to be angry? Can I get them to gossip? Why? Because if I could do that, hey, all I need is you to crack the door open a little bit. And what? Confusion. It goes on to say this, every evil work. Like, oh, that's like the pirate thing. You're like, I can't even imagine that every evil work. Okay, and that's like, that's a reality in our lives where, and we're going to go into talking about this, just strategies from the Lord of how to do this. But this is why, like, I tell you something. We got to be so aware, not only of how I'm doing, like making sure that I'm not boiling over in strife, but also that I'm making sure that I'm not causing other people 
to boil over in strife. You know, sometimes in our rhema culture, what we can do is I could be like just the biggest jerk to Danielle, right? Like just rip her apart. And then she's like, well, you hurt my feelings. And I'm in like, well, what does that say about you? <laughs> right? How does, how does, tell me how that makes you feel, right? And she's like, it makes you feel like you're a jerk because you're a jerk, okay? <laughs> but you see, sometimes we could do that, right? We can deflect we can want to boil over, but we don't want to take responsibility for the fact that we're causing other people to boil over. You see, this is why when we talk about the New Testament, the, 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 the analogy that God gives us for the way we're supposed to be in the New Testament is not that, you know, well, we're a bunch of individuals scattered abroad. No, the analogy that the New Testament gives us is that we're the body of Christ, the whole intention of the New Testament and people is that we're supposed to be able to live together and fit together in perfect unity and harmony. The New Testament, the book of Acts talks about this. It says that we all love the great revival, but there's this little caveat where it says when they were all in one accord. You see, sometimes we look at it and we wonder why things aren't happening in our lives, in areas of our life. But the reality is, is that we're letting the devil come and wreak havoc in us, steal our fruit in areas that's so simple for us to, if we would just grab control of it, change areas of our lives instantly. Like, I don't have to say everything that I'm feeling. I don't have to say everything that I'm thinking about. You know, there are times when Mike sends me a text Right? And, and I can't even say what I would like to respond to him. But I remind myself and I say, wait a minute. He, does, he doesn't actually. He's so nice. And you all know that. You're like, Mike would never do that. But I remind myself in those moments, what? That it's, it's not worth, this momentary exchange yeah. is not worth confusion and every evil work. And so he does this time and time again, like I said, because he understands that love never fails. And if love never fails and we live in love, it means that we will never fail. But if he can get us to walk out of love, it means inherently that now we have the ability to fail. And that's what the enemy is looking for. He doesn't care how many confessions you make. He doesn't care how many hours you spend praying. He doesn't care because he, he knows. Well, if I could just get them out of love, I know that I can make them fail. So how do we combat against this? How do I protect myself? I'm almost done. How do I protect myself from strife? How do I protect myself from this idea of boiling over or, you know, willfully just exploding? The, th the first thing that I have written down here is that we have to own our own negativity. We have to own our own negativity. No one can hurt you except areas where you are already vulnerable. I know it feels, and, and like I said, this is not a license for you to just like now just go pushing everybody's buttons to be like, oh, I'm just, I'm doing the work of the Holy Spirit showing everybody where they're vulnerable, okay? That's not what I'm talking about. But what I'm saying is, is that what we have to learn in, 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 in Christianity, this is why the scripture tells us to judge ourselves so that we won't be judged, okay? Is that nobody can hurt me. Nobody can, nobody should be able to affect me in any way other than positive 
except for areas where I am already vulnerable. And so things happen in your life, people say things to you, you experience things happening, and all of a sudden, what, you respond and you want to lash out. You want to freak out. You want to walk out of love. But we have to, what, stop for a moment and realize, wait a minute, this, this wasn't actually Mike. Maybe Mike pushed the button. Maybe it was what he said. Maybe it was what he did. But it wasn't actually Mike. It was me. The fact that I'm hurt, the fact that I'm bothered, the fact that I'm angry, the fact that I feel vulnerable, the fact that I feel afraid had nothing to do with Mike. All he did was expose a vulnerability in me. Because you see, when I understand that, now when Mike pushes my button, I, under, I, I realize, well, wait a minute. I, I, I shouldn't be mad at Mike here. It wasn't actually Mike's fault. Mike didn't actually do anything. All Mike did was expose a problem that was already on the inside of me. Okay, because here's the reality. You can find a reason to justify every single negative emotion. Isn't that true? Like we're masters at doing that. Like I can tell you a thousand reasons why every negative thing I feel is somebody else's problem. And if everybody else would just do all the things that I want them to do and they would just be the people that I need them to be, then, hey, everything in my life would be perfect. Except that that wouldn't happen. Okay? But that's where in this process, we have to understand what it feels like to own our own stuff, okay? The only way that people can hurt me or things can hurt me is if I already believe that those things are true, okay? It's like if Mike comes to me and he says to me, Alex, you're a girl, okay? It might be like, you know, I don't know, you know, we might do the thing, okay? But it's not going to hurt my feelings. Why? Because I know, I know that I am not a girl. I got proof that I am not a girl, okay? Now, if he was to come at me and say something, okay, like maybe that I was afraid of spiders, and he came up to me and he was like, whoa, there's a spider on your face, okay? Now, I'm freaking out, I'm panicking, I'm boiling over with anger and rage, then I realize there's no spider and I want to punch him in the face and I want to drown him in water, I don't know, whatever it is that you particularly feel. Why? Because that fear was already in me. And so I want to direct it towards Mike or I want to direct it towards the spider instead of realizing, wait a minute, this is something that's in me. So my point is this, that we need to be quicker to judge ourselves rather than judge others. Because if we never judge ourselves, what happens is, is that the enemy, <coughs> the enemy knows our button. He knows how to get us to walk out of love. And so essentially, like, it's checkmate. Yeah. yeah, we got the promise. We got the promise. Hey, Alex, there's a spider on your face. Yeah, we got the promise. We got the promise. We got the promise. Hey, Alex, there's a spider on your face. And it's funny, okay? Like, we laugh. <laughs> I'm actually not afraid of spiders. <laughs> okay. Snakes. I'm afraid of snakes. Indiana Jones was too, so I'm in good company. Okay? Listen, you have to, yeah, I, I, I'm desperately trying to help you to understand this, that until we get to the place where our heart is healed and where we are actively addressing areas of vulnerability in our own heart, the enemy has an open door into the things that we do because it's easy for him to get us to walk out of love.
okay? Number two, we have to ignore other people's negativity, okay? When I was going to Dr. Pritula um, for a long time, actually not really, it's been a long time since, but when I was younger, maybe till the time that I was like, I don't know, 31 or something. <laughs> no, just kidding. Maybe to the time that I was like 20, I dealt with serious anger. Like it was a real intense thing uh, in my life. And I literally, rage. Yeah, <laughs> my house would call it rage. I would beat up a wall if it bothered me, okay? <laughs> Didn't matter. Um, but I dealt with this for a long time. And I remember Dr. Pritula, um, he does this cool thing. It's called tapping. You know, it's this thing. It's basically like subconscious reprogramming. I don't know if it's cool or good or bad, so strike it from the record if it's like this crazy weird thing. I don't think it is. Um, but the, he's, so he's tapping me, and he says to me, say this. It's good for me not to be affected by the emotions of other people. And then he's like, beep, boop, boop, beep, boop, 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 beep. <laughs> if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about, right? It's like he's reprogramming us. Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> oh, if it was only that easy. Um, and then he said this to me again, right? It's good for me not to be affected by the emotions of other people. You see, it's easy for us to find reasons why other people are our issues. And pointing out the negativity in other people. I tell you something, the enemy is not short of people to get to push your buttons. Let me go over here and say, like, the enemy is not short of Christians <laughs> who would love to push your buttons, okay? But what we have to understand what it feels like to be able to ignore the negativity of other people. Because if Mike is negative towards me, it can't bother me. I'm only picking on it because we have a good relationship. If Mike is being negative towards me, the devil can't get at me unless I respond. Mike could be as mad, as angry, as bothered. He could boil over 10 times, but it can't touch me. But when I choose to engage and respond, now I become vulnerable. That's why we have to realize that it's not, I mean, somebody taught this. You know, they had that thing, and I love it. I literally do it all the time, and I actually hear the Holy Spirit say it to me all the time, where they're like, it's not worth it. I literally hear that all the time. So thank you to whoever preached that. That was life-changing for me. Oh, Jamie. Um, and, and, and so that's the reality, is that it's easy for us to deflect and make, uh, uh, make issues in ourselves, other people's. But the reality is this, it's not worth, I, hey, let me tell you, as somebody who's public, like literally as little public as we are, okay, you, you get people saying stuff all the time, yeah. and you hear it, and criticizing, and hey, there are times when you said stuff that I've heard stuff that you said about me, and I want to boil over with rage, <laughs> okay? But I remind myself of this simple thing. It's not worth my victory. That I've spent years, I mean, I've woken up at 5 a.m., 4.30 for a long time to allow some funny thing that you said about me to steal the victory that I have been sowing into for all these years. But you see, the devil realizes that all he has to do is get me to step just a little bit out. I mean, it's legal, right? 
I mean, how much of the law do you have to break in order to break the law? Just a little. Like, it's like, well, you know, you only, like, killed, uh, you couldn't kill half a person. Like, you, well, you only sped three over, and that's really not enough in order to, no, you just got to break it a little. It's the same thing in the kingdom. You could do a thousand right things and one wrong thing, and we open up the door to the enemy, and he could wreak havoc in our lives. But it's simple. What? I just have to realize one, one thing. I don't have to be negatively affected by things that are happening around me. I don't actually have to respond. And the third thing is this. We have to know what we're fighting for. And I'm closing so that you can go up. We have to know what we're fighting for. I have this written down. If the fight doesn't benefit what you're fighting for, zip your lip. If the fight that you're about to engage in doesn't benefit what you're fighting for in your life, just zip it. You know, sometimes that happens in my family, right? Like we are, we could get that. We could have those things. Because we're a family, there's a lot of us, and we are always confined for some weird reason. Like we're like, hey, I know a great idea. Let's put all eight of us in two hotel rooms. Like awesome idea. And somehow we literally just keep doing it, right? You'd think that we'd learn. But we do this, right? We confine ourselves in these small spaces. And sometimes what can happen is, you know the way it works. You know friction, okay? And sometimes it's not long before that friction has turned into a forest fire. And we hate everything about everyone, okay? And sometimes what, and then what happens is, okay, this is slightly exaggerated. But for, 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 the, for teaching purpose, let's go with this. And then my mom, it's typically my mom, she'll always come and she'll send out a text, we need to have a family meeting, right? And then we all sit down and we do a family meeting. And then, you know, we talk it through. And why? Because this is the thing we have to remember, is that these small fights that we're doing, they're not what we're fighting for. We're fighting for something over here. All this fighting it's distraction. It's letting the enemy in to wreak havoc in our lives. Why? Because he understands, the scripture says like this, that a three-stranded three cord is not easily broken. There's unity. There's power that we experience when we live in and walk in this life of unity. So when we allow strife into situations, we wonder why things don't work. They, they simply aren't working. There's nothing wrong with you. Listen, if confessions work for one person, it means they have to work for every person. If living by faith has worked for one person, if one person has got a miracle, it means that you qualify for a miracle. If somebody does something that's impossible, it means by the very nature of it happening once, that that means that it's possible for you. As long as what? We continue to live in a lifestyle of love. So I always ask myself this question. Something is happening, and I ask myself the simple question. Holy Spirit, is this going to help or hinder what I want to do? Because walking in love doesn't make us passive. It doesn't mean that you don't stand up and fight for things that you care about or that you love. But it does mean that that's a, that's a very small quadrant. 
Like Jesus, we read all the stories and he had one time where he flipped out in righteous anger. All the other times, like, you know, when he was being hung on the cross, you remember that time? What well, he understood the power that comes when we live in a lifestyle of love. So Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we are, we're thanking you for what you're doing in our lives, Lord. God, that you have made, you have made the word so easy and you've given us such a deep understanding of how we can be guaranteed victory. And that is that we stay connected to the vine, that you are in us and we are in you, that love is in us and we are in love. Lord, we commit ourselves to this and we thank you in Jesus' name.